Hello. This is just a quick message before we get into the episode proper. The plague has struck us again, and so we've had to delay the episode which we planned to record for you today. But instead, we have this shorter episode for you, which our patrons enjoyed a few months back. It features some bonus content from my research for our episode on the Asexual Manifesto. We hope you enjoy it, and we'll be back to business as usual from December 15th. Hello, and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. And I'm Eli. And today we'll be talking about the 1971 Village Voice article, Asexuals Have Problems Too. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast and pay my respects to their elders past and present. They're the custodians of an oral history tradition far older than this podcast. We have some content warnings for this episode. This episode will include historical acephobia and homophobia and also mentions of sex. But that's about it. Today's bonus episode comes out of something I came across while researching our episode a few months back on the 1970s Asexual Manifesto. This is something that didn't quite fit with the theme of asexuality within feminism, but I still thought it was a fun little insight into asexuality in the 1970s, so I wanted to cover it here. In February 1971, Greenwich newspaper The Village Voice published an article titled Asexuals have problems too. Whenever I hear Greenwich, I always think England. Like, obviously we're talking Greenwich <laughs> Village in New York. Yeah. But, like, I just can't get it out of my head because I think England. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh, okay. <laughs> Why are we here? <laughs> Whenever I hear Greenwich, I think Greenwich. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Greenwich. I think specifically of that one bit in the Princess Diaries novels, because they live in Greenwich in the Princess Diaries, <laughs> where they make like a parody film where they pronounce Greenwich as Greenwich, and it's about like a witch that lives in Greenwich. Oh, okay. Because I think this was the first time I ever heard of Greenwich as a child. Right, okay. <laughs> For a bit of context, Greenwich Village is a historically very queer part of New York City, notably the site of the Stonewall Riots, and the Village Voice is a Greenwich paper, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the Voice is a queer-friendly paper. If you're listening to this and you can hear a lot of traffic noise in the background, we're very sorry. We're faced with the choice of recording in the room with no heating or the room which faces onto the street. And today it's very cold, so we've chosen the room next to the road. We'll do our best to cut out the car noises and the train noises, but you may get some of them. Just treat it as a kind of nice Melbourne ambient soundtrack. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this is just like the local paper. Yeah. Oh, okay. I've been under the impression this is a queer paper my entire life. So was I until I researched (laughs) this. And I was like, oh, it wasn't a queer paper, which I should have remembered because they actually wrote quite a homophobic article about the Stonewall riots at the time and that made the riots continue. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think I actually did know that, so... I don't know what I thought was happening there. Yeah, no, nor do I, because I was like, oh, this isn't a gay paper? What? Mm. (laughs) Anyway, it's not a gay paper, but it is probably unlike quite a lot of papers at the time, a paper much more willing to write openly about sex and sexuality. It's so wild that, like, newspapers overall are, like, barely a thing now. Mm. But, like, you go back, you know, 40 years and there's a newspaper for this specific part of New York. Yeah, I mean, I guess technically our suburb has a newspaper, but it's like 
a free thing that somebody leaves in your letterbox that you don't really want. Yeah, well, it's not gonna, it's not gonna like cause the continuation of riots. No, it's not gonna be discussed in a history podcast in like forty <laughs> yeah. years either. Yeah. Every month, it takes its little trip from our letterbox to our recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> this article, asexuals have problems too, was a satire spoofing on a series of articles which had come a couple of weeks before, written by film critic Andrew Saras, and titled "Heteros Have Problems Too." <laughs> Andrew was in turn responding to an article by gay rights activist Mel Miller. In his article, Andrew denounces the idea of straight white male privilege, and his contention is best summed up by the quote, I simply refuse to allow myself, as the member of a behavioural group, to feel guilty for the hardship that my heterosexuality has imposed on his homosexuality. Okay, cool, my guy. (laughs) (laughs) You feel better for having got that out of your system. I hope he does. The heterosexuals. Won't someone please think of the heterosexuals? (laughs) It's even multiple articles over several weeks. Like, he didn't do this one time. He was like, I'm going to have a column for a few weeks where I talk about how hard it is to be straight. And then he did that. He must be a great first date. Oh, I'm sure he's fun (laughs) at parties. (laughs) Accordingly, as a satirical response, Asexuals Have Problems Too is a very tongue-in-cheek article. It's written from the perspective of asexual man Harold Nederland, which is a pen name, and it opens with the lamentation that, quote, I'm sick and tired of the constant whining going back and forth in your pages between heteros and homos. After all, these people have their sex to keep them warm. (laughs) (laughs) And he continues later on in the article to complain, I'm continually invited to orgies to pour the von rose and roll the joints. (laughs) despite his satirical tone in some ways harold's understanding of asexuality matches quite well with our modern understanding of asexuality of people who rarely or never experience sexual attraction or as harold puts it the man or woman with the courage to say the whole sex business leaves them feeling like a limp noodle (laughs) harold's depiction of asexuality however does have some differences from ours too for example he conflates sexuality and gender at points writing does anyone realise the early torment of an asexual? To have his father buy him a bike for Christmas, and when the salesman asks a boy's or a girl's model, to have his father reply, it doesn't matter. But at the same time, the text of the article does lay out many issues and experiences that might genuinely resonate with asexual people. Harold laments the lack of asexual visibility in the media, and the pervasiveness of sex in the media as well, which he struggles to relate to, declaring, I'm an educated man, but the last film I was able to enjoy was 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I mean, the the sheer amount of Dalmatians in that, though, does imply a rather high amount of sex. <laughs> but the sex is off screen. Okay, okay. Well, but no, but it's a it's a single litter. No, 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 no. They Isn't start it? with a single litter, yeah. and then when they rescue the Dalmatians from Cruella de Vil, they end up with 101 yeah, yeah, yeah. rescued Dalmatians. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I just, no, I no, totally no. assumed. And th- you know why this is? This is entirely because of the episode of The Simpsons, that's basically 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> I just assumed it was one litter that was just ridiculously large, and they couldn't handle them. And then Cruella, like, I just assumed this, the plot of The Simpsons episode was exactly the plot of 101 Dalmatians because I haven't seen 101 Dalmatians since I was about five years old. I haven't seen The Simpsons episode, so I can't comment. <laughs> yeah, so in The Simpsons episode, it's one big litter of puppies, and they can't handle them. So then Mr. Burns takes them all. Oh, okay, okay. I just assumed that was the plot. Like, that's fair, that's fair. Well, you've learned a valuable lesson today. <laughs> God damn it, Simpsons. How oh. dare you not educate me properly about media? <laughs> Harold Nederland also critiques the lack of non-sexual content in the papers, calling the village voice itself an oppressive smut sheet. <laughs> I love that the village voice is just like, yeah, we'll print that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we, we are an oppressive smut sheet. It's true. Mm, yeah. It's true. It's true. He does, he actually calls out by name several village voice columnists. And as I mentioned, Harold Nederland is a pen name and he calls out himself by name. Joe Flaherty is the name of the oh, okay. actual author and he calls out Joe in particular. Oh, okay. <laughs> that, that seems a bit more... Yeah. Like, that that gets across a tone that is a bit more kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. And a bit less like, you're all terrible. <laughs> yeah. And I hate you. Yeah. And I don't know if when this was published, the people at The Voice knew it was Joe writing it, mm. but it definitely came out soon after, as we will mention shortly. Oh, interesting. And he also talks about the dehumanizing attitudes of others towards asexual people referencing quote the agony of the family thanksgiving dinner when someone says pass the mashed potatoes to it all right so as i've said this article was intended as satire but we see a variety of responses in subsequent issues that show that many readers didn't take it that way one letter writer wrote in saying now i don't know if i'm an asexual or not but I know that when many of my friends are claiming to be staving off their primitive, lustful desires, I'm spending most of my time trying to reassure myself that I have them. And this letter writer also muses about whether asexuality had never come up in the paper before because the average asexual doesn't realise he's an asexual due to the lack of visibility in the media. Other letters thanked Harold for pointing out and critiquing the pervasiveness of sex in society. And one letter writer, a Brenda Jones from Atlanta, thanked Harold for raising her awareness of the plight of asexual people. She noted that, quote, All too often, when advocates of women's lib, black freedom, gay lib, and others get together, they forget to espouse the liberation of all peoples as violently as their own cause. And all people is what the movement is about. I believe the only way I can gain freedom is through awareness and sensitivity to the plights of other people. And Brenda invited other asexual people to write into the paper so she could learn more about their experiences. I haven't been able to pin down the letter, but I also found mention of another reader offering to write a weekly column with a focus on asexual consciousness raising. Oh, that's quite cool. I like that it's clearly inspired quite a few people. Yeah, it was surprisingly positive and sincere response to something that was obviously just intended to be a joke. So, on that note, below Brenda's letter, The Voice published a note explaining that the article was actually written by voice regular Joe Flaherty, and adding that until the arrival of dozens of letters like the above... Joe was under the impression he was a satirist. But, like, he clearly sincerely held some of these beliefs. I, yeah, I'm sort of unclear where the satire ends. I don't know whether he did sincerely hold these beliefs or mm. whether he just thought a funny take on this argument about whether straight people or gay people had it harder would be to be like, well, what about people who aren't interested in anyone? But yeah. it's just, like, so specific. It, but it's it clearly kind of takes on, like, argument, like on similar arguments you'd see in someone who's writing this about being gay, right? Mm, mm. So I think the specific is just coming from, yeah, like he's responding to this other situation with like a, a humorous alternative. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. My understanding from having read it is that Joe fully believed it was a joke and didn't expect any sincere responses. Okay. So do we know anything about Joe's personal proclivities? Um, I think that Joe was gay, but I'm not 100% sure. Okay. I would have to look into Joe further. Interesting. I guess that would explain, and I can't really remember exactly where we got to on this mm. in the original episode, because it's been a little while. Yeah. But, yeah, you were saying, you know, sort of his differences in understanding of asexuality. Yeah. Um, compared to our modern understanding, because from my memory, there were, like, differences in understanding of it even at the time. I think when we talked about the differences in understanding of asexuality in the episode, we talked largely about the idea of asexuality as, like, a 
conscious political choice linked with feminism mm. as opposed to being just an identity that you had. Yeah, true. I guess we did talk a lot, like, obviously it wasn't much more focused on women's asexuality. Yeah, and this article is from the perspective of a man, both as Harold, a pen name, and Joe, the actual author, and it it seems to come from a different place. Like, it doesn't seem to connect in with those conversations about feminism and asexuality that mm. were happening at the time, which is why I didn't put it in the episode. Yeah, I'm wondering a lot of that sort of gender discussion about being referred to as an it and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, yeah, I'm kind of intrigued by that because especially some of the stuff about, like, you know, talking about as a child, I'm like, that doesn't seem to really have much of anything to do with asexuality necessarily. Like, But I think that's, like, where it makes sense as just a pastiche on similar articles about being gay, where you mm, have, mm. like, yeah, like a little boy being considered feminine because mm. he's just... Mm. you know going to grow up to be gay and you have like little straight boys who are really masculine with their like presumably blue bikes and they ride around <laughs> in Stephen King stories or whatever uh, <laughs> but then like the logical kind of carry on from that to Joe I guess is that an asexual child just kind of fails to have a gender at all yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no that, that's what I was yeah that's what I was getting at I think yeah I think yeah. you're right because I was sort of like initially like, oh, okay, it seems like he has a fairly nuanced understanding. But then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, no, not really. Hmm. Uh, he's just kind of applying the same stereotypes, but in a slightly different way. Yeah, he's just um, extrapolating from what might have been said about gay men being feminine, I think, mm -hmm. in those conversations about gender. Yeah, yeah. So I just wanted to share that article with you because I thought it was, I mean, firstly, it kind of entertained me that he started off as satire and then got this sincere response. But I also thought it was an interesting insight into the fact that there obviously were all these ace people reading The Voice and either looking for representation or not knowing they were looking for representation, but quite enthusiastic when they found it. Hmm even if it wasn't intended that way. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we still see that now. Like, there's still so little ace representation in media. Yeah. And, you know, people go understandably pretty feral for it when they <laughs> do get it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, I mean, as we probably talk about now and have talked about for a long time, people will grab onto any representation they can find mm. if they're desperate for representation, whether it's good or bad, whether it's, you know even satirical and not intended to be genuine, they'll still latch on to that. Mm. With that, we've been Queer as Fact. I'm Alice. I'm Jason. And I'm Eli. If you enjoyed this episode, you can find the rest of our content on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. If you find us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we really appreciate it if you leave us a rating to help us reach a wider audience, or if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review as well. If you'd like to see more queer history content between episodes, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. We're Queer as Fact on all those platforms. If you'd like to support us financially and get access to more bonus episodes such as this one, you can sign up to our Patreon. You'll get to hear bonus episodes, have access to our monthly newsletter and other perks. Or if you'd like to support us in a more one-off capacity, you can also buy some merch from our Redbubble store. We're also Queer as Fact on Patreon and Redbubble. And you can find links to all of that on our website, which is queerasfact.com. Or you can email us directly at queerasfact at gmail.com. Or if you prefer snail mail, you can write to us at our PO box. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again on December 15th.